I'm Paul Levinson, and welcome to Light On, Light Through, episode 186. Thinking about Isaac Asimov's foundation on Apple TV. Well, I saw a really impressive, exciting trailer for the final, final, after all these years, getting up on the screen. In this case, on Apple TV, many, many people and many, many companies have tried before over the past 50 years to make a movie or a television series out of Isaac Asimov's first His Foundation trilogy. And then after the 1980s, Asimov's Foundation series because he expanded his trilogy starting in the early 1980s. But this is finally happening on Apple TV. It's going to air beginning this September, just in a few months. And again, I saw this trailer on YouTube. It's a little over four minutes long. It was very impressive. By the way, you can see this trailer. Uh, I'll have a link for it in the show notes to this episode. Just go to lightonlightthrough.com, L-I-G-H-T-O-N, L-I-G-H-T-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com. And you'll find this episode, and in the show notes right there, you'll find the link. Or you can search for the trailer on YouTube directly. But... I thought it would be a good idea to talk to my class, the class I'm currently teaching now via Zoom at Fordham University on science fiction from page to screen. So what better example could there be of bringing to the screen Isaac Asimov's magnificent foundation stories? So what you're going to hear in a few seconds is part of a lecture I gave my class just yesterday via Zoom, in which I describe and go over how the Foundation Trilogy first came to be written. Here's a hint. It was via a series of short stories that Asimov had published in Astounding Magazine in the 1940s. And then all the various possibilities and issues and potentials of seeing it on, well, maybe not a big screen, but certainly it could be a nice size screen on Apple TV. So here you go with my lecture from just yesterday. The Light on Light Through podcast. David Goyer, who is the executive producer, who was correctly saying they've been trying to make this television series or movie for 50 years. And... Apropos of the man in the high castle, I've mentioned uh, a whole bunch of times that the man in the high castle, the Philip K. Dick novel, won the Hugo Award for best novel in the mid-1960s. Around that same time, however, there also was an award given by the World Science Fiction Association for not just the best novel, not just the best series or trilogy, but the best all-time forever trilogy, which is a pretty, if you think about it, presumptuous award, because it's saying we're going to give this award to a trilogy, and we don't think 
not only do we not think that anything before this equaled this trilogy, but we don't think anything is ever going to equal it in the future. And just to give you an idea, the two trilogies that were most in contention for this award, that is the best all-time science fiction or fantasy trilogy, one was Lord of the Rings, which obviously was a very powerful, impressive trilogy. And obviously Peter Jackson went on, you know, whatever it was, I guess 20 or so years ago, to make a masterful movie trilogy uh, out of that. But the competition that Lord of the Rings had was too much for Lord of the Rings. And a majority of the members of the World Science Fiction Association back in the mid-1960s voted for the Foundation Trilogy, Isaac Asimov's Foundation Trilogy, as the best trilogy that ever was in science fiction and they thought ever will be. So I had read the trilogy back in the 1950s and I'll jump back to that in a minute and tell you how the trilogy really was first written. I would wind up reading the trilogy three more times in my life. Once when I was in college and I wanted to do a paper on the trilogy, once when my son was about 12 years old and he was reading the trilogy and I wanted to talk to him about it and I wanted to make sure I had all my facts right. And uh, I was actually in touch with Isaac Asimov over the years. In fact, he even, uh, I even sent him my explanation of what was going on in the Foundation trilogy. And he wrote back a very nice postcard to me saying, hey, thanks very much. I really had nothing like that in mind when I wrote it, but hey, this is a pretty uh, good idea anyway, so thank you. And uh, I'll send you a link to that postcard uh, so you can read it yourself because uh, I scanned it and put it online. But one of the things I said to Asimov, this was back in the mid-1970s now, 20 years after I first read the Foundation Trilogy, was, hey, you know, somebody should make a movie out of this or a series of movies. And Asimov said to me, well, tell me about it. You know, this has been talked about for over 10 years. And little did I know then that it would take this long for a television series or a movie to be made uh, of the Foundation Trilogy. Now, the same thing happened to some extent with Man in the High Castle, but not as much. There are at least seven or eight failed attempts to make either a movie or a television series of the Foundation trilogy and then series, because the trilogy was expanded. I'll tell you about that later. And for one reason or another, they all failed to come into fruition. And this television series, which David Goyer says is going to consist of eight seasons, each season 10 episodes, the same format exactly, actually, as Game of Thrones. You know, that's really an impressive uh, 
thing to do. And uh, I think the reason that this succeeded was the tableau that was created was big enough to accommodate the trilogy and the entire series, whereas some of the movie proposals just did not have enough time to do that. But even so, this Apple TV series almost didn't happen because of the COVID pandemic. It was well on the way to being made. And then suddenly production was halted last March, March 2020, because everything was being shut down. And I remember when that happened, I mean, obviously there were a tragic loss of life. A lot of terrible things were happening. But in addition to all that, I mean, I, I, I remember thinking to myself, okay, here it goes again. This trilogy, as great as it is, has a curse on it because now finally it's being made. It has a great producer, David Goyer. And now again, it is coming to a halt. But fortunately, when the pandemic began to subside, when people began to get vaccinated, and this happened three or four months ago, the producers were able to put the finishing touches on at least enough episodes for the first season. So now it's definite it's going to be on in September. Okay, let me go back and tell you a little bit about how the Foundation Trilogy came to be written. And the truth of the matter is I couldn't ask for a more appropriate example to tell you in this class because it covers all the bases we have been talking about. And today is Thursday on Tuesday, right? Just two days ago, we were talking about, well, are you going to write a short story? Are you going to write a novel? It turns out the Foundation Trilogy was both. And here's how that happened. Isaac Asimov was a kid. He was 17 or 18 years old. And he came to the attention of a man by the name of John Campbell, who was publisher of a magazine called Astounding Stories. That would later become Analog Magazine. They changed the name of it. And Asimov began sending stories to Campbell. Campbell began publishing the stories. And one fine day, Asimov sent Campbell a story about a man by the name of Harry Selden who had developed a science known as psychohistory. And what the science was, and again, this is science fiction, you couldn't do this back then in the early 1940s, but what the science was is if you can have enough statistics on what people on the planet are doing. You could come up with some statistical formulas that could enable you to predict the future. So psychohistory is a way of predicting the future. And in the first few stories, because the first story was published, the readers of Astounding Love did, Asimov wrote, more stories, what would happen is there would be a conflict between people who 
were convinced by Harry Seldon's psychohistory, and people thought he was just crazy. And what his psychohistory predicted is that this massive empire that you saw in the trailer, that that empire was going to fall apart. And that there would be at least 10,000 years of chaos or darkness that would ensue. Asimov clearly got this idea from the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. But Harry Seldon's equations, although they couldn't stop the empire from falling apart, also predicted that if people did certain things in certain places, they could shorten the reign of darkness from 10,000 years to 1,000 years. And you saw one of the characters in the trailer saying, we can shorten the darkness. That's what she's talking about. And there are a whole series of exciting developments. At one point, Asimov introduced another character called the Mule, M-U-L-E. He, the Mule, was a genetic mutation. And because he was a genetic mutation, he was outside the range of statistical predictions because you couldn't predict what a mutation would do. So he throws all, you know, all of Harry Seldon's equations off. It also turns out, and I want to give away too much of the story, that Seldon, uh, the name of the organization that he created to try to let not just the world, but the galaxy of human beings know what was happening was called Foundation. But he also created a second organization called Second Foundation, which could step in if the first foundation somehow dropped the ball. Anyway, these stories were published in the 1940s. In the early 1950s, a uh, small publisher came to Isaac Asimov and said, hey, we love these stories. How about we collect these stories and put them out as three books? And Asimov said, sure. And the result in 1951, 52, and 53, three books were published. And the result was the Foundation Trilogy. And those were the books that I read when I was a kid. And those were the books that were so popular and so successful that they won that award for being best science fiction trilogy of all time. And as you heard in the trailer, I think uh, David Goyer or some voice in the background says that this is the Foundation series is the basis of Star Wars. Well, not completely. Star Wars drew on a lot of sources, but there's no doubt that the notion of an empire that's in trouble and people who are independent of the empire trying to create their own structures, that does come from the Foundation trilogy. Let me here throw in two things. John Campbell, in the last few years, has been sort of stripped of all of his awards and many of his acknowledgments, because in addition to being a brilliant editor, he was a racist. He said racist things. 
And this now raises what we're not going to discuss, but I just wanted to put this out here on the table. One of the problems that the creative world has, in a way it relates to the Me Too movement as well, you know, what do you do with people who are brilliant, creative people, but who do things that are socially unacceptable? So in addition to everything else, the whole foundation story brings into its purview that series of very current problems and issues. In any case, Isaac Asimov had a PhD in biochemistry. And in the mid-1950s, Asimov said, you know what? I'm not just going to spend the rest of my life writing science fiction. I'm going to get a job at a university, and I'm going to start writing serious books about science. And so Asimov stopped writing science fiction, got a job at Boston University. Now here... As much as I admire Asimov, you can see a difference between, for example, Asimov and me. I, I love science fiction. I write science fiction. I'm a professor, obviously, at Fordham University. I don't see a conflict between writing science fiction and writing serious nonfiction or writing science fiction and being a professor. But I guess things were somewhat different in the 1950s. In any case, as the years went by, more and more people read the Foundation trilogy and loved it. And more and more people said, I wish Isaac Asimov would continue writing the trilogy. And there was another editor at Doubleday Books by the name of Pat Lobruto. And uh, he knew Isaac Asimov. I knew Pat Lobruto. Uh, I would meet him at science fiction conventions. Really nice guy. And one day in the early 1980s, he announced, guess what? I am delighted to announce that Isaac Asimov has agreed to write another Foundation novel. And that's indeed what Asimov did. Asimov tragically would die at the end of the 1980s or the early 1990s he uh, had gone in for a, an operation on his heart in the early 1980s, and he survived that operation fine. It was like triple bypass surgery. But unfortunately, it was right before the AIDS epidemic had become well known. And the doctors then used donated blood, which they still do, but they were not yet testing the blood for AIDS, and Asimov contracted AIDS and eventually died of AIDS. So who knows how many novels he would have written had he continued writing. To this very day, Isaac Asimov, either as the novelist or an anthologist who assembled a bunch of stories, has his name on more books than any other writer known in history, 500 plus books, Isaac Asimov wrote. On his deathbed, Isaac Asimov's last words were, according to his wife, Janet, 
who passed away just a few years ago, Isaac Asimov said, I just wish I had more time to write more. So that's how much Asimov loved writing. So he would go on to write not just one, but a whole bunch of prequels and sequels to his foundation trilogy. And this is why David Goyer is able to talk about eight seasons, 10 episodes each. Now, one, I think we'll just have to see uh, what is done in the television series, which, of course, I'll be watching. But I always thought that the best part of even the original trilogy happened in the second and third books in the trilogy, not in the first book. So it'll be interesting to see how much the producers are able to bring in into the first season of some of the great conflicts that we see in the second and third novels in the series. And I'm hoping that the eight seasons don't just mimic that as each season mimics one of the books. I'm hoping that it's done in a different way. But we'll just have to see. Now, here's something you might find of interest, just to give you an idea of how these things happen. Last night, and the reason why I'm talking to you about the Foundation Trilogy now I got an answer to one of my tweets that is somebody responded to my tweet. And what the answer was, was a call for papers on the foundation series, either the books or the television series or both. A call for papers is an invitation to basically write a summary. It's called an abstract of what you might expect to write in an article and then actually write the article. So that was nice, but I looked more carefully at, the, at this invitation that came as a response to one of my tweets. The tweet was posted by me like over eight years ago on Twitter. So the, the editor must have done a search because the tweet that I posted over eight years ago was, hey, here's a new podcast that I just put up a new episode on my podcast, which compares the Foundation series to the Dune series. And just on the basis of that, that's how I got invited to do this. But I'm really glad that happened because it gave me the idea that, hey, maybe I should talk at more length about this to you since it's so relevant to our class. But the point I want to make about that is it just goes to show you that on the one hand, Twitter is, yes, very much of an in-the-present medium. Most of us, if we read anything on Twitter, we're just reading what was just posted a few minutes ago or maybe earlier in the day. But a lot of people don't particularly keep in mind that everything that you have tweeted, Twitter has a record. So if somebody is searching... If, for example, someone did a search on Foundation Trilogy, my tweet from over eight years ago would come up there as, a, uh, as an example of someone who was writing or doing something about that. So 
that is not directly relevant to our class, but social media is relevant to everything these days. And so the, the lesson of that little true story is that Twitter also has a memory, also has a history, and that can play a role anytime uh, that, it, that it comes up. So one of the concerns that I also have is not everyone has Apple TV Plus. It's yet another streaming service that you have to pay for to see. Now, I actually have Apple Plus because TV because I got a, an Apple a Mac Airbook about a year ago, and that came with a free subscription uh, to uh, Apple TV Plus. But as you know from what I just told you, I love the Foundation series so much, and I was so eagerly looking forward to seeing it on a screen that I would have taken out a subscription on Apple TV just to see that, if there was nothing else on Apple TV. And by the way, there are a lot of other good things on Apple TV. So the other point I'll make, you know, to be uh, obvious about that, clearly the production values in David Goyer's television series on Apple TV of the Foundation series are a lot higher than what you saw in the chronology protection case. But I think even the production values are maybe even a little higher, as excellent as they were, as, as they were in The Man in the High Castle, for a couple of reasons. One reason is The Man in the High Castle started again a few years ago. The Foundation series on Apple TV is, is starting now. And the way these technologies work is they improve every month, literally, because people come up with new ways of handling light input and, you know, digitizing this and where the camera's pointed, et cetera, et cetera. So in that sense, I think the production values that we're seeing in that trailer, even though it is a TV series, are pretty much on a cinematic level. And that's another way in which there seems to be a connection between the Foundation series and Star Wars, and for that matter, Star Trek. By the way, David Goyer was one of the producers of The Tomorrow War, which I think I mentioned last time we were talking. Uh, he also did... Um, a, uh, I think it ran for a couple of seasons. It was a television series about Leonardo da Vinci. And I can't quite remember where it was, either on AMC or Stars or something like that. And as it said in the credits, he also did at least one Batman movie. So David Goyer is really a top-notch producer. And uh, I knew that he was going to be associated with the Foundation series. And as soon as I saw that, I knew the series would be in good hands. One other point I'll mention, with the exception of the lead actor 
that is the person playing the Harry Seldon role, whose name is Jared Harris. I don't know if if he looked for me to you, but Jared Harris played a leading role in the Chernobyl series, which was on just a couple of years ago. Before that, he played a major role in Mad Men. So he is a very talented actor. But other than Jared Harris, and maybe it's just my ignorance, I didn't recognize any of the other actors, uh, at least in that trailer. So that's also a pretty daring thing. And in that way, I would say that, that in that way, there is also a similarity between the Foundation series and The Man in the High Castle, because The Man in the High Castle also has a very, very well-known actor, Rufus Sewell, in, in the lead role. And most of the other characters I didn't particularly know before I saw the series. And it looks like David Goyer is taking the same approach uh, to the Foundation series. Let me tell you a few other things about Asimov and his writing, which I think is you know, very interesting. And it will be interesting to see how David Goyer and the other directors and producers handle this in the series. Asimov has been criticized over the years as being... A, an emotionless writer, meaning he just describes what's happening and he doesn't put enough human interest into his characters. Actually, I don't agree with that. I think there's a lot of human interest in Asimov's stories, but I know what that criticism is because if you think about the man in the high castle as sort of an example on the other side, yeah, and Philip K. Dick's style of writing. It, it, in many ways, it's a very emotional, smacks you in the face writing. Asimov lets the story almost speak for itself. And he doesn't waste words like, you know, descriptions and adjectives. He just basically has the characters tell the story and he tells you what's going on. And actually, I think that works very well for science fiction because it allows the reader to fill in those other emotional details. But the question is, how well does it work for the screen? And to get back again to Philip K. Dick, as I've mentioned now a few times, and it's worth mentioning again, Philip K. Dick easily, easily holds the record for the most science fiction movies or television series made from his work or his works. So you have The Man in the High Castle. You have Total Recall. That's the uh, movie starring starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. That comes uh, from uh, a Philip K. Dick story. I can't quite remember the name of the movie, but there's a movie in which uh, people can't predict who is going to murder someone. And they, it was a pretty good movie. Steven Spielberg made that movie. Yeah, Tom Cruise was the main actor in the movie. It's called Minority Report. So Philip K. Dick had a plethora of screen adaptations of his work. Uh, in contrast to Isaac Asimov, who had virtually none. 
A couple of other things I want to mention, uh, and this is something that you can look forward to if you go beyond the trilogy. The other kind of science fiction that Asimov was best known for was his robot stories. And again, it started as a series of short stories, and then he eventually began writing novels in which robots were the heroes. And he introduced a character, R. Daniel Oliver. I have no idea how he came up with these names. It was R. Period Daniel Oliver, and the R. Period stand for, stood for robot. And there was a story about him. He was like a sort of a detective along with his human partner here on Earth in a novel called The Caves of Steel. Then as a sequel, there was a novel called The Naked Sun. And those novels were also extremely successful. Asimov stopped writing those too, however, when he said, look, in the mid-50s, I just want to focus on being a scientist and writing science and being a professor. But what Asimov was able to do when he rekindled and rebooted his foundation stories, as he was writing sequels, he began weaving in the robots from his robot stories into the foundation stories. And so, again, I'm sure in these eight seasons, we're going to see David Goyer and the producers take on, for example, in the sixth or seventh season, how Asimov handled not just the ability to predict the future in a statistical sense, not in the sense of minority reports where the precogs are able to just do it in their heads, but also how Asimov thought of robots. As a matter of fact, come to think of it, in one or two of the prequels, to the first Foundation novel, there are robots as well, because Asimov, again, wrote those in the 80s. He knew he was going to be bringing robots into the story later on. So we may well see robots in the first season of the Foundation series. Again, no longer a trilogy, but it'll be up there for eight years. That's a pretty long commitment, uh, eight years. And it's important to point out the only reason that Game of Thrones ran that long is because it was so enormously successful in its first couple of seasons. No television keeps putting on season after season unless the seasons that have been on have been enormously successful. And based on the trailer, and based what I know of David Goyer's work and the other producers, and for that matter, Jared Harris as an actor, and based on the superb quality of the novels themselves, I would be amazed if Apple TV didn't generate a huge audience. The Light on Light Through podcast well, I hope you enjoyed that lecture about Isaac Asimov's Foundation series, and it's coming to TV on Apple TV via David Goyer's production. 
That will begin in September, and you can count on me to review every single episode of that first season, and as a matter of fact, every episode of all eight seasons. But we'll have plenty of time before September for more episodes of Light on, Light Through. Could be reviews of other science fiction series or movies. Could be a review of a mystery movie or series. Could even be some political commentary. You never know. But in the meantime, stay safe, stay sound, and enjoy. AD. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Curled up with a good book says, Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. Paul Levinson still codes about an ancient biotech war raging on in secret for centuries. 